The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. If you are a kid in here, you're dismissed to class. Thank you for worshiping with us. It's a joy to see the kids uh, worship with us as well. So there's going to be a little bit of chaos while they, while they exit. Um, welcome. Again, my name is, is Kevin. Pastor Tracy is out of town, and so you, you get me this morning. No, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to be here, and um, I, just, I, I hope that the Lord just continues to show his faithfulness, and I hope he shows that uh, in this text and how we are called to, to walk in, in our faithfulness. And so just for an idea of what today is going to look like, we're going to kind of review Joshua because we took a... Um, a week off of Joshua, so we're back in it. So real quick, we're going to review Joshua, and then we're, I'm going to share two stories of faith that are found in our text. Uh, one that shows a, a story of faith, and then one that shows faithlessness, a lack of faith. Uh, and then we're going to talk about how that applies to us today. And so first, first the review. What have, what have we seen in Joshua so far? Um, so remembering Joshua, Joshua has led the Israelites into the promised land and the promised land is God's promised, uh, God's promise fulfilled, right? He promised this land to the Israelites. And then at the beginning of Joshua, they are crossing over into it. And, and God gives Joshua and the Israelites a very important message. He says, be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law, right? The, the Lord says at the very beginning of Joshua, do not let this book of law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you will be obedient to it, so that you will be faithful to it. So that they will abide in it. So that they will be faithful to God. And God, he promises his faithfulness to them. He says, I will be with you. Um, I will go before you. And so the Israelites, they move into the promised land and we see God's faithfulness. From the very first step into the Jordan River, what happens? <laughs> Dry land. And they walk across. We see God's faithfulness. We see God's faithfulness in the defeat of, of um, Jericho, right? They walk around the city and they cry out, and it's only by God's faithfulness that that city is destroyed. And we see God's faithfulness in the, the, the defeat of Ai. We see God's faithfulness in the defeat of the five kings, right? He, he throws stones from heavens and defeats the enemies of the Israelites, but then we also see in Joshua, what we've seen is that there's a lack of faith from Israel. The lack of belief in God's promises and a lack of obedience to his word. We see the sin of Achan, him hoarding some of the good of the cities that, that they've destroyed when the Lord said not to. Um, we see their lack of faithfulness in them taking the Gibeonites as, as slaves when the Lord said don't take any slaves. And then we get to chapter 13, and, and it, it shows us a future promise. And he says, God says, there's land that still remains, but I am going to be with you, and I will drive out your enemies. So he's reminding them again of the promise that he promised at the very beginning of Joshua. To meditate on my word, know my word, obey it, and I will be with you. I will be faithful. 
And then we come to the allotments of land, um, the joyful, the fun allotments of land, the giving of each tribe's territory. And we discussed the territory of Judah, and we saw how Caleb is an example of faith. And then now here we are in chapter 16 and 17, and we're going to see the allotments of Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. The sons of Joseph. They get the land instead of Joseph. And in these chapters, we're going to see the two stories of faith. But before we go any further, um, let me pray for this time this morning. Father, our, our prayer throughout this study has been that you would equip us in our battle of faithfulness. Father, we pray that through looking at Joshua, we will become strong and courageous for the battles that we face every week, for the circumstances that are before us. Father, I pray that we will just know and understand, believe and trust and abide in your faithfulness. Father, if there's anything in our lives, any situations that are crippling us to be faithful, I pray that you would reveal that distrust in in our lives. Father, reveal your faithfulness, reveal your character. Let us in faith trust and abide in your word and in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. So look around you. Imagine all these people sitting around you, sitting beside you, are about to get their territory that was allotted to them. They're excited. You and your family have been waiting for years to see the land that the Lord is going to grant you. And now this time has come. It is Ephraim and Manasseh's turn, the sons of Joseph. And Joshua turns to them and he says, here is your land. Here are the boundaries of your land. This is where you're going to live. This is where your kids will live for generation and generation. This is where we are. This is the exact spot where Ephraim and Manasseh are. This is the land that the Lord had promised. And now they are here to the point where they get to see where they're going to be. But... Before we jump into the stories of faith in the land, um, there's a, we must understand why Manasseh and Ephraim are being given their, this allotted territory, the sons of Joseph. And this in itself is a massive sermon, and I'm not taking the time today to do that. Um, but in your study guides, if you grab a study guide, it goes into more detail, um, and it takes you back to Genesis 48, and you get to see... God's faithfulness, you get to see a beautiful story of faith and adoption. And it's glorious. So I challenge you, I encourage you to grab that study guide, download it from our website, and work through Genesis 48 and those questions. But in short, right, Jacob, the father of Joseph, uh, remember Joseph was sold into slavery from his brothers, God, through God's faithfulness, comes back um, to Jacob and his brothers. And at the end of Jacob's life, on his deathbed, Joseph, he brings Jacob his sons. And he knows that, that Jacob is going to bless them. And Ephraim, we, we see here in Joshua 16 and 17, that Ephraim the younger is actually allotted territory before the older. That's not normal. 
That's not usually how it's done. And Jacob, on his deathbed back in Genesis 48, um, he gets up out of the bed. Joseph brings him his sons, and he places Manasseh, the older, by Jacob's right hand. But Jacob approaches them, and as he's blessing them, he crosses his hands. And he blesses Ephraim over Manasseh. However, he blesses them both. And he says that you're both going to be a numerous people. You're both going to be blessed. Jacob, he gives them the promise of Joseph's allotted territory. So now let's look at that allotted territory. And I want you to just have an idea, a picture in your head of this territory because we're going to get to the story of lack of faith and we're, we're wondering why in the world do the sons of Joseph complain. Let's look at, at the map. This map scrunched up, um, if you can see it, we see right here the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, half-tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh was already allotted territory on the other side of Jordan by Moses. So now it's just the half-tribe of Manasseh, this huge allotment of land, and Ephraim. And in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, Joshua, he describes this boundary, this whole boundary of where Ephraim and Manasseh are. Don't let me lose you. I know a map can be boring. Don't let me lose you. Geologists, any geologists in here? You enjoying this? This map is a little scrunched up, but... Uh, I'm sure you've seen better maps. And then in verses 5 through 10, he gets into the description of the borders of Ephraim. And then when you jump into chapter 17, 1 through 13, he describes the borders of Manasseh. And so that's where we are today. We're looking at this land, the land that's been promised and allotted to them. But in between these allotted territories, we get glimpses of the faithful and we get glimpses of the faithless. So that's what we're going to look at today. We are going to look at these glimpses of the faithful and the faithless. And so, you know, Moses, he blessed this land. And, and the, he said that the land was blessed by the Lord. The, this land has the choicest fruits, the choicest produce. It has everlasting mountains and everlasting hills. It is gorgeous land. This is the land that was promised to them. And we come to chapter 17, verse 3 through 6. And we see the faith of five daughters. I call them the original Fab Five. I like to think of them. The faith of the five daughters. Read with me verse, verse 3 through 6. Now Zelephahed, the son of Hepir, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terza. You guys writing these down? You can name your kids, your daughters that. They approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. And the leader said, the Lord commanded. And the girls, the daughter said, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. 
Thus there fell to Manasseh ten portions besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance along with their sons. The land of Gilead was allotted to the rest of the people of Manasseh. These girls get land within the allotted territory of Ephraim and Manasseh. They approach the priests, they approach Moses and Joshua, and they ask for land. And the Lord, he commanded Moses to give it to him. This doesn't happen. We're in Old Testament times here right now, right? Women aren't allotted land. Usually, back then, they didn't even get an inheritance. Right? Only men do. Well, if we look a little further, we're going to see just how cool God is and how big the faith of the Fab Five is. Look with me at Numbers 27. One through eight. It'll be on the screen. Then drew near the daughters of Zelephahed, the son of Hapir, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terza. If you missed them the first time, you got them again. Um, and they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. Korah uh, had a crew with him that was going against, against the Lord. Um, and he had, sorry, but he died for his own sin. Okay, so he died for his sin, but... He's dead. Their father is dead with no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no sons? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Give it to us. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelephahed are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their fathers and brothers, and transfer their inheritance of their father to them, and you shall speak to the people of Israel. If a man dies and has no sons, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughters. Girls, are you high-fiving each other? Go girls! Yeah! So under traditional rules, daughters, they didn't inherit the land. They didn't inherit the land from their fathers, but they received a dowry when they were married off. They received a cow or a pig. But if a a man did not have any sons, his, his estate would just pass to the nearest relative. And if that's the case, and this is what the girls point out, then the land would just pass out of the family and the name would just be forgotten. The name would just disappear. The daughters knowing that, they approach the priest, they approach Joshua, they approach Moses, they approach the Lord. And the daughters then ask to inherit their father's land and the Lord promises them land. God, he broke the social standards He broke the social standards. The daughter's faith here to approach them is is tremendous. This normally doesn't happen. God had promised Israel this land, and the daughters would have been left empty-handed. 
they did not have their father or any brothers to inherit, inherit any part of this land. And they, in their faith, they were sure of the word of the Lord. He promised land to Israel. They were sure of his word. And they knew, they were sure that it would come true. And the Lord would provide land for Israel. And the daughters in faith, they wanted part of this. They wanted an inheritance in the land that was promised by God, but Israel had not possessed it yet. They didn't even have the land yet, but they knew that his promise was going to come true. They, in faith, were sure of God's promise. They were sure that the land would eventually be conquered and God would eventually assign it out. So in faith, they trusted in God's word. In faith, the Fab Five, they declared this land, the land is ours and we want our share. You see, they believed God's word of promise for an inheritance and then they acted accordingly. And so what happened? They fittingly were promised what they asked from the Lord. And then years later, We're back to Joshua 17. The daughters, still in faith, they remind Eleazar the priest and Joshua of God's promise. See, they know God's promise is true. They trust God's promise. And they now receive their promised inheritance because of their faith. And God, he remains faithful to his promise. Just like Caleb in Joshua 14, for many years, God's promise has been the foundation to their faith. The daughters, they never forgot and they never doubted God's promise. And it's in this faith that they abide in the promise and act by asking Joshua and Eleazar uh, in what has already been promised to them. So in this story, in this first story of faith, we learn two important aspects of faith. First, faith trusts in God's promise. Faith trusts in God's promises. For years, the daughters trusted the Lord to deliver on his promise, and they knew he was faithful and believed his word. They believed his promise, and they never stopped believing it. Faith trusts God's promises. Second, faith abides in God's promise. Faith abides in God's promise. The daughters, they knew what was promised to them. They acted in accordance to that promise, and they received their inheritance. So we see that faith is more than just a mental agreement to a set of facts, but it's actually acting on what you know to be true. Faith is more than just us agreeing and trusting in a set of facts, but it's acting on what you know to be true. They lived their life abiding in the promise that God gave them. They simply know God's promise, and then they live in light of it. So as I start to go into the second story, I want you to briefly think about your faith as as we continue on. Do you trust and abide in God's promises? Do you trust and abide in God's promises? And at the very end of chapter 17, we come to a story of faithlessness, a sad, sad story. Um... But it's a a story we see within all of the Israelites. It's common, um, their lack of faith, the faith of the sons of Joseph, 17, verse 14 through 18. I'm going to kind of read them a verse at a time and, and talk about it. 
Verse four, starting in verse 14. Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given me but one lot and one portion as inheritance? Although I'm a numerous people, we have been blessed by the Lord. Notice, notice, they only approach Joshua. Where's Eleazar? Where's the priest? Also know Joshua, he was actually a part of the tribe of Ephraim. So they're going to a guy who's a part of their tribe and they're trying to have sway over him. They want more land. And they're, they're thinking maybe Joshua will grant us more land. Maybe Joshua, because he's part of us, he'll want that land too. This immediately gives us an idea on how this is going to go. They start to complain against God and they show their lack of faith. And for me, I read that, that verse and it's, I just, I picture, I picture a little kid running up to a father or mother, whoever says yes the most, um, and asking for more candy because they have been obedient. And that's how, that's how I read this. Why are you giving me but one lot and one portion? You know, you know, I'm a numerous people. I have been blessed by God. Give me more land. Ephraim and Manasseh are saying we are two families with a bunch of people because God has blessed us. Shouldn't we get more land because we are blessed? Because God has blessed us? And I love, I love going back to God's word. This is huge. This is what we're going to hit on at the very end as well. But in God's word that he's even given to them, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, in Numbers 33, verses 50 through 56, he's already answered everything that they're going to complain about. Let's look at it. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land. From before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. To a large tribe, you shall give a large inheritance. And to a small tribe, you shall give a small inheritance. Whether Wherever the lot falls for anyone, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them who you let remain shall be barbs in your eyes and thorns in your flesh. And they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. And I will do to you as I thought to do to them. It is clear here that whatever land is allotted to the tribe is the land that they will receive. The Lord has already answered their question, has already answered their complaint. If you are a large tribe, you shall receive a large inheritance. Do you remember the land that they got? Do you remember the allotment that they received? Manasseh was a massive tribe. Ephraim was a massive tribe. They were blessed and they got a huge allotment. They have a huge allotment of land. They receive a large portion 
of land that has choice fruits, that has everlasting hills, that was blessed by the Lord. Its yield of produce is massive. The Lord blessed it. But what do they do? They complain. And here we see them complaining to Joshua. But ultimately, who are they complaining to? They're complaining to God. They are discontent with what God has promised and given them. They don't remember God's promises. Maybe they ignore them. Let's look at how Joshua responds. Verse 15. If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephraim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. Joshua's response is repeating the reason they used to try to get more land. If you are a numerous people, which we know you are, then go to the forest that the, in the land that the Lord has blessed and clear it out. Make more room. Go to the land of the Perizzites and the Rephraim and create more space. What you don't know about the Perizzites and the Rephraims are they are giants. They're giants in this land. So you can start to see some fear here. They don't want to go to this land. They're scared to go to this land. Maybe, too, they're just lazy. They don't want to do the work. Joshua says, you have the manpower, do work. See, his point is clear. They've been allotted land. Now go attack the enemy and take the land. Remember God's promise. He's with you. He's for you. He has already given you the land. But again, the people of Joseph, they complain. And again, they show their discontentment. Look at verse 16 people of Joseph, they said, the hill country is not enough for us, yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, fear. But those in Beshin and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel, this definitely shows their fear. They bring, they bring up another excuse why the land is not good for them. It's not safe. It's not safe. We're not comfortable here. There are Canaanites in the land who have chariots that, that are surrounded with iron. Nothing we do is going to be able to penetrate that and kill them. Remember God's promises. God is faithful. He will destroy those chariots of iron. That is Joshua's response. Look at verse 17. You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment. But the hill country shall be yours, for though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, and though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. So again, Joshua, his point is clear. He's repeating himself. It's it's almost like Joshua is, is asking, have you not learned anything from this whole conquest that you have just embarked on? Have you been walking around with your hands over your eyes? Have you been walking around with your thumbs in your ears? Ignoring God's promises, not remembering and seeing God's faithfulness over and over. See, provision was already made for them to have more territory. 
But they would have to subdue it. They would have to settle it by their own energy and their own persistence. You see, the territory is not what is insufficient. Their territory is not insufficient for the amount of people they had. Their faith is. They lacked faith in God's promise. And Joshua twice pointed them back to what God has already promised. God is faithful. In Joshua 1 and in chapter 13, he would drive out their enemies. Meditate on my word. Be obedient to it. And I will be with you. In the book that they have, in the stories that they heard in Deuteronomy 7, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. At the very beginning of Deuteronomy 7, when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. And the stories have been passed for generation and generation. But yet they seem to ignore it. They seem to not have faith in it, not believe it, not trust it. God gave his word and the sons of Joseph did not have faith in it. See, they were, they were discontent. They lacked faith and ultimately did not trust in God and trust in his promises. And at the very end of this, we're, we're left hanging. We don't know what they do. We don't know if they go and drive out the Canaanites. But, spoiler alert, I looked on to Judges 2. And what does it say? Ephraim and Manasseh, they don't obey the Lord. They don't drive out the Canaanites. And it even says that the people became Thorns in their sides because of it. God's word that he said back in Deuteronomy, back in Numbers 33, that they would become thorns in their side came true. God is faithful. God's word is true. In this story, we learn two aspects of a lack of faith. First, a lack of faith distrusts God's promises a lack of faith distrust god's promises at the core ephraim and manasseh at the core ephraim and manasseh's discontentment and complaining is a distrust in god and his promises they they grumbled they complained against god because of their circumstance because of the land um, that the lord was giving them they did not trust god's promise to provide to defeat their enemies faithlessness reveals distrust And then second, a lack of faith ignores God's promises. The sons of Joseph, they ignored God's promises. We saw God's promise in Deuteronomy and at the beginning of the book of Joshua. And even throughout these chapters, we see that they ignore them. In in chapter 16, verse 10, they don't drive out their enemies. Uh, They take them as slaves. In chapter 17, Verses 12 and 13, they don't drive out the Canaanites, but they, when they become numerous and people and strong, they take the Canaanites as slaves. They don't obey God's word. He says, devote yourself to complete destruction. I will drive them out if you obey. They don't. They ignore God's promise. They did not respond or abide in God's promise. 
See, they feared their enemies and then selfishly made them slaves. They desired the blessing of the Lord without the work. Does that relate to you? Faithlessness ignores God's promises. So what does this all mean for us today? Here we go. What does this all mean for us today? Bear with me. It's warm in here too. Uh, In this battle of faith, in, and it turned on, you see that? The Lord is faithful. Uh, In this battle of faith, in our stories of faith, we have to ask ourselves, do I trust and abide in God's promises or do I trust and ignore God's promises? So in your battle of faith, are you like the Fab Five or are you like the sons of Joseph? Now your circumstances, they change. So one day you may be like the Fab Five. One day your, your faith may abide and trust in God's promises. But then the next, you may be like the sons of Joseph. You may be like Ephraim and Manasseh, and you may lack faith in a circumstance, in a, in a situation. No one said being a Christian was going to be easy. No one said walking in faith would be a cakewalk. I would love a cake, yes, uh, as I walk, but no, no one said it's going to be easy. God, he calls us on paths that are difficult, and sometimes we, we don't understand why. But that's okay. It's okay not to understand why. And for us to have faith on this path, we must trust and abide in God's faithfulness, in God's promises. Because it is in God's promise where our faith doesn't waver. We are not going to be perfect in our faith, but we know someone who was perfect in their faith. We know someone's faith who is not wavering. We know someone who is continually perfecting our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. So as the path is difficult, as we come across giants, as we come across forests of trees that we just don't feel like cutting down, as we come across armies, we need to remember God's faithfulness and God's promises. And how do we do that? By going to his word and all of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When our faith is wavering, when we lack faith, we need to endure. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, he relates to our walk of faith, our battle of faithfulness to to a long run. And he says we must endure. And how do we do that? By looking towards Christ. Yes, there's examples in God's word of God's faithfulness, of God's people being faithful. But you need, to, you need to take off this sin that is obstructing you and you need to look towards Christ because he is perfect. This is why he has, giving, he has given us his word. He calls us to trust and abide in it. First John 2, let what you heard from the beginning, so Christ, Christ's death for sins, let what you heard from the beginning, the gospel, Christ's death, for, Christ's death for sins and his conquest of death, the promise of God, let it abide in you, and then you will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. First John 2, 24 through 5. Jesus, he prayed, sanctify them in the word. The word is truth. 
the Holy Spirit, he uses the truth of God's word in our sanctification to make us more and more like Jesus. So what should you do? Load up your mind with it. Meditate on it. Fill your heart with it. Ponder it carefully. Let it direct your walk and let it direct your faith. God, he promises in his word salvation for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. He promises comfort in our trials. He promises all things will work for the good of his children. He promises a new life in Christ. He promises to complete the work that he has started in us. He promises to supply our needs. He promises to provide peace when we pray. He promises to to triumph over our enemies. Christ, in his word, he promises rest for our sins. He promises eternal life for those who trust in him. He promises to be with us. He promises to return for us and many, many, many more. Do you know his promises? Do you trust and obey and abide in them? Are you in his word? When you approach a circumstance and you don't know what to do, where are you turning? Is Christ enough? Is God's word enough? All of these promises are fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus. And we learn about Jesus right here. Every single passage, every single word is pointing to God's rescue plan that is in Jesus Christ. See, God, he promises himself and he, he promises us an inheritance with him, eternal life. But is trusting and abiding in Christ's promise enough for you? See, the Bible tells us that it, that it is enough, but it, it wasn't enough for Ephraim and Manasseh. So do you, tr- do you trust that Christ is enough? Do the choices you make show that you trust God? In your daily battle of faith, in your battle of faithfulness, can others notice that Christ is enough in your life? That you're striving to show his glory? That you're striving to honor what he says in his word and believe his promises? Is he enough in your circumstances? Is he enough in your fears? Is he enough in your sins? Is he enough in your desires? What promises of God are you not trusting? Is it that he's not with you? Because he promises that he is with you. If you are in Christ, he is with you. That he can't defeat your enemy? Because he promises to triumph over your enemy. He promises he has already defeated your enemy. That he can't defeat your sin? No, he has defeated sin. Your sin of drinking? Your sin of laziness, your sin of comfort, your sin of control, your sin of gluttony. What is it? Christ has defeated it. So what excuse are you making? Is Christ enough for you? In your daily battle of faithfulness, can others notice it? What promises are you doubting? Do you trust that that God's going to supply your every need? He's faithful. He's good. He will supply. He has supplied. Are you abiding in his promises? Are you abiding and trusting God? 
in all areas of your life, with your finances. You hold everything you get. How's that working for you? Do you do you trust God with your finances? Do you trust God in your relationships? Do you abide and trust God when you're at home late at night on your com- computer? When you're on your cell phone? When you're sharing the gospel? Do you believe that he's with you? Do you live your life in a manner knowing that he is with you? He is right there with you. When you're tempted with sin, he promises a way out. Do you take it? What areas of life do you fear? What gives you anxiety? What makes you worry? God, he promises to be with us, to provide peace, to comfort us, even while we are in our trials. Do you repeat the promises over and over in your head when you approach situations, circumstances, and sins? Is he enough? Is God's word enough? Do you trust and abide in it? Remember Christ. Remember his promise of himself to us. You guys stood here in the very first song that we sang. You sang, fear not, he is with us. Oh, be not dismayed, for he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He will be our defender and cause us to stand, upheld by his merciful almighty hand. How firm our foundation, how sure our salvation, and he will not be shaken. Jesus, firm foundation. The soul that is trusting in Jesus as Lord will press on enduring the darkest of storm. And though even hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. If you do not believe in Christ's promises today, I want you to know that you have the opportunity to believe in those promises. You can believe in Christ's promise. And you can receive Christ's promise. The promise that your sins are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. That you are made righteous because of his sacrifice on the cross for you. That you were once dead in your sins, but because of Christ, because of God's promise, you are now alive with Christ. See, Christ, he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross bearing your sin. He rose from the dead and now he's waiting. He's waiting to return for his people so that we can receive our inheritance. If you do not believe in Jesus, but you know he's tugging on your heart and he's calling you, I want you to repent of your sins. Believe that he is enough. Trust and obey him. Abide in him. Dive in to his word. Don't ignore his call. And I would love to talk to you after after this service. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norsferrychurch.org.